The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. Have you ever found it tough to communicate with others of a different age, race, religion, gender, or job function? Would you like to close this conversation gap between you and your boss, coworkers, employees, or customers? Our guest on this episode, Alyssa Carpenter, has advice on how to do just that. Alyssa is a workplace communications expert and the owner of Everything's Not Okay and That's Okay, where she provides training, consulting, and speaking services to organizations. She's also the author of How to Listen and Be Heard, Inclusive Conversations at Work. Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Why did you decide to get into the field of workplace communications? It's a fascinating area, but what sparked your interest in it? Yeah, it's interesting. My background is in higher education, and I worked in colleges and universities for about 12 to 13 years. And just during that time, I noticed so much kind of duplication of efforts and frustration among the people I was working with, some members of my team and other teams, and realizing this doesn't have to be, I don't want to say that bad. Um, But sometimes in workplace situations, people are frustrated and they don't have to be. And there's just so much miscommunication. So being able to work with companies and organizations and speaking and training has been just a wonderful opportunity to bridge these barriers so we can actually create spaces where people want to be versus where they feel like they have to be and are just like, oh, I don't want to go to the office, you know, right now. You did a TEDx talk about humanizing the workplace, which I thought was amazing. And I'm wondering why we should get to know our coworkers as friends rather than creating boundaries between the two. Yeah, and it, it's so interesting because we do make that distinction or we bring half of ourselves to work, right? You have this personal self and you have this professional self. And I even remember starting out in the workplace and, and being 22 and working in higher ed. And I had students who were my same age or you know older than me. And I felt like I had to be this person who wore collared shirts and, you know, all these things that just weren't my personality. And it's so important to bring our whole selves, but people don't always, and I'm a person who's looking for a best friend at work or somebody I can have that conversation with. And I recognize that not everybody is like that, right? Some people have that professional shield, you know, you put up, you go in the office at nine to five, then you come home and go hang out with your friends. But we need that release somehow. You need people to be able to bounce ideas off of or ask questions of. You work better with people, you know, when you're more inclusive and bringing more ideas in. So that's something that I personally look for. And I've noticed such an increase in productivity and really profitability in organizations of other people when they're willing to embrace that we can't go at it alone right? We need each other in some capacity or another to be able to function, to be able to work. 
When we talk about the topic of workplace communications, I can't wait to ask you about the kinds of problems you're seeing crop up right now because so many people have begun working remotely, whereas before it might have been an option, something you do a few days a week, and, and some people do all the time, but it wasn't like it is right now and like it may be for the foreseeable future. Oh, it is so tough. And I think too, it's important to make the distinction between, I don't want to say regular work from home, but regular work from home in this crisis work from home situation. I have a puppy. I have two kids, right? You're inevitably probably going to hear somebody, you know, in the background at some point or you're on Zoom calls and you see kids flying around. And what I love is, is making it more personable and making it more human. You'll never see me with a Zoom background. I want you to see what's going on, right? You know, I'm trying to make it less distracting as possible, but it's humanizing us in different ways ways that we might not have brought our whole selves to work, but it's also creating the space where we can say, how are you? And then actually keep pushing or get a real answer versus like, I'm fine. I'm good. And you're like, you can't possibly be good, right? Like there's so mm-hmm. much um, that's happening. Is there anything I can help you with? Or, you know, what are you going through? It's allowing us to create these experiences and relationships with people that we otherwise wouldn't have necessarily had. We're in this situation where our encounters with our coworkers are now pretty much all on Zoom. And it's interesting to see how people take on different roles when they're in a virtual environment versus an in-person environment. Do you think that leaders are more likely to stay leaders and those who are more passive likely to stay quiet? Or can there be a little bit of a role reversal? It's funny because I've had so many talks um, recently with clients just about even having this role reversal or allowing people to share their screen. Um, A lot of people are visual learners. So being able to give somebody else kind of that driver's seat experience of being able to share their screen and being able to lead. I think, you know, I've seen kind of both and some organizations, and it depends on the culture, you know, some people are afraid to show their camera. And with that leads to just so much distraction among um, the people who are on the call. And I do think it's up to the leader to have those conversations and say, you know, our expectation, I don't need you to look amazing, right? Just, you know, we want to be on the call. We want to be able to see each other or else maybe you'll be texting on your cell phone, you know, something else. Right. Yeah. But having that, you know, that leader that step up, it's not about just saying something. It's about demonstrating and really showing that, being a leader is important, but being able to show your face and you know sharing the responsibility with other people. I've seen so many people just share new ideas that they might not otherwise had because a leader asked the question, you know, what can we do differently? How can we shake things up? What are we missing? They're giving their team the opportunity to stand out because now's the time we have to shake things up. We have to try new things and think differently than we did in the past. And, you know, I think that as somebody who's naturally pretty shy, maybe you wouldn't know it from this, but naturally I'm pretty shy and I find it a lot easier to talk if it's just through a Zoom meeting, through through online. Like mm-hmm. you don't feel the same kind of nerves about speaking up as you do if you're in a meeting and you feel like all the pressure's on. So I, I would see for a more introverted person, there could be a lot of advantages. Oh, yeah. And you're already in a comfortable setting, hopefully, right? You're in your home. It's a space that you already feel comfortable. So that barrier is kind of removed. And then everybody's on this equal playing field in terms of this like Brady Bunch style boxes. It's not somebody who's <laughs> at the table, right? Not somebody who's at, like the head of the table and standing up and saying, I'm in charge. In theory, right? It's this equal playing field. We're all using a similar same device and having these conversations with one another, which can be quite different because sometimes it's just a one-way dialogue of somebody leading something and not asking questions or, or letting people step up. 
We're glad you're part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners, and we want to tell you about Policy Genius, something every family should look into. Policy Genius works to help insurance shoppers understand their options, compare quotes, and buy a policy all in one place. If someone relies on your financial support, whether it's a child, aging parent, or even a business partner, you need life insurance. Now, we all hope we never need life insurance, but mortgage payments, child care, and other expenses don't disappear when you're gone. Life insurance through your workplace may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it won't follow you if you leave your job. Since life insurance typically gets more expensive as we age, now's the time to buy. My husband bought life insurance when our daughters were young so that we'd be covered if anything happened to him. He's faced some serious illnesses since then, and that life insurance policy has given us peace of mind during those tough times. We still have the policy today. Policy Genius gives gives you a smarter way to find and buy the right coverage for you and your family. Policy Genius was built to modernize the life insurance industry. Their technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies like AIG and Prudential in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $17 per month for $500,000 of coverage. And Policy Genius has licensed agents who can help you find options that offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. They're not incentivized to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. There are no added fees and your personal info is private. No wonder they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net. You deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your or free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Again, that's policygenius.com. Do you think the time spent having these remote meetings on Zoom or whatever is time spent more effectively? Hmm. I can go either way with that because I think it depends. It's a great question. Um, I think it can go either way depending on who's running the meeting or what the outcome. Oftentimes, it, it's a little bit difficult now. Um, when you're working with people physically, you can maybe pop by their office, see how they're doing, ask them a quick question, run into them in the water cooler and say, you know, hey, I just have this information or, you know, did you finish that report? In this situation, we're deferring or defaulting to meetings to get that information where we didn't in the past. And it could be maybe you don't hold a meeting. Sometimes we default to that 30 or 60 minute and they're just really long and not as productive. If at the end of the day you have an agenda, people know what they're responsible for to have a conversation about, people can walk away with the meeting and feel, okay, this is worthwhile. I have an agenda item. I know what I need to report to. I know when it needs to be done. Then I consider that to be a successful meeting. But I think it, it just depends um, because we don't have those other moments. It just seems like there's more meetings or people's calendars are more full than they were before. We've heard about companies like Facebook planning on maintaining the remote culture beyond the pandemic, beyond when they need to. And that's probably going to become a way of life for a lot of people. Do you think that if companies can it's important to go back to having at least an option to go into work or going in at least one or two days a week to maintain relationships. So I go again, like either way on, on this part too. I'm, I'm a huge advocate for face-to-face conversations and the fact that I think there's something missing, even when you have this, 
virtual face-to-face with Zoom, there's still this element of, you know, being able to see people continuing the conversation, or if you're at a networking event, you happen to overhear someone, you know, in the corner and you want to pick up the conversation. I think having that space, what will be difficult is we don't know what the future holds in terms of health and conditions and things like that. And you want people to come into your office and your space feeling comfortable that they will be safe. They will be healthy. You know, when they leave, you have provided these precautions. I think it's a great outlet for people. But, you know, thinking about these other circumstances of childcare, caring for an aging parent, just things that are different now and will continue to be different until, you know, schools go back in session to whatever capacity. We want it to be available, but knowing not everybody might be able to come and that people feel safe and secure when they're in that building, that you've done everything to provide them a space to do that. Because if not, you're going to have people just very nervous and not able to perform to the best of their ability because they're just not in the mental space to be able to do that. What are some of the lessons you think have been learned suddenly and the hard way due to the way workforce communication has had to change during the pandemic? I think some of the positive lessons um, that I've seen from different people I've heard are how much people are now valuing their work and not realizing how much went into their daily tasks or completing the work that they've had. I think some of the hard lessons is this was a let's all leave, grab your devices and go type of thing and not go back. And companies and organizations weren't prepared for that. They didn't have enough bandwidth in their VPN system or enough devices. Um, People are in their homes and they're not in comfy furniture. So being able to learn the hard way that, you know, we have to be proactive and see what people need and to continue that conversation to see if things have changed, right? I've had a lot of clients give stipends, let's say $500 for their employees to create a workspace. And I think people have learned the hard way through potentially some unproductivity that they need to be there and provide support for people along the way. You're passionate about trying to talk about multi-generational workplaces and I think there's probably no time where the aging gap seems more obvious than right now. You have older people who are forced to be using technology, (laughs) not knowing how to use the technology, and you have millennials who are really shining. I say this because it's kind of been this way with my parents when I've been trying to help them work. They are so much smarter than me at so many different things, but in a time like this, I guess I kind of feel like, hey, I know everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting to see the gap and I've seen it really, you know, kind of all over the place a little bit and and even just talking about physical devices. So some people may have had a comfort level with their desktop in their office and are now given this laptop. Like, how do I even turn this on? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Right. At any level. And it's like, okay, not only do you have to turn it on, you have to keep up to speed and get on these calls and do all these things. It was just a fire hose all at once. So I see, you know, the gap there in those spaces. What I'm loving and what I've been working with clients on is even, you know, partnering somebody, you know, like yourself, let's say millennial Gen Z, somebody who's comfortable with this technology and help people walk through it. Because at the end of the day, if somebody is not comfortable or not performing, it impacts the whole organization. And it's not that they don't have the content or the knowledge to be able to complete their work. They just don't have a comfort level with these new devices to be able to do it. So I'm definitely seeing the gap there. It's also interesting just in terms of expectations or just lifestyle. Um, when you're thinking about, you know, who has younger children that they're also responsible for homeschool, you know, we're talking about a specific demographic, specific generation. And then we have potentially the more 
vulnerable generations of baby boomers with health conditions and things like that. So there's so many other factors that are into play. If you're, you know, at home, maybe you're able to by yourself do this nine to five position. But if you're being thrown with now teaching your kids homeschool and trying to, you know, figure all that out, that's also played with it too. So it's not just the professional things. I think it's also the personal, the expectations that you have as also being um, part of your family. What are some of the things you think people should try to avoid in terms of communication and connection as we work remotely? So I don't know if it's necessarily a void per se, but I think we have to give ourselves grace and other people grace as well. This is very new. This is so different. Even though we think we may have gone in the flow, people can be short and snippy um, pretty, you know, lately in terms of short emails or responses. So giving people the flexibility, you know, this is totally uncharacteristic of them to just kind of let it go one off. But I think, you know, things to avoid are just this continuous back and forth of email or continuous back and forth I am. If something's not working, right, if you're still not getting the answers that you need, if things are confusing, find another path to reach out to that person. Ask them how, what is the best way to communicate with you. Maybe they're not getting back to you via email because they're not checking it as often and maybe phone or texting is better for them. So, you know, don't keep trying the same thing if it's not working. Try to chain things up, but ask people what's the best way to communicate them every day or for emergency purposes. You talk a lot about biases and we all have them. A lot of them are unconscious. How can we quiet that inner part of ourselves that really doesn't want to listen to another viewpoint? Even if we say we do, there's a part of us that's still like, hey, you're wrong, you're wrong when they're talking. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's tough, right? So you have this unconscious or the implicit bias where and, and to some some extent, even thinking about in general, it's just the way our brains are hardwired to have a preference for something and have a not, you know non-preference for another. And it could be an experience that you had with somebody, let's say, you know, has a beard, and then you think about everybody with a beard in that same way. But we need to really take that step back and realize, you know, who are we asking the questions of? You know, if we want to make things different, or if we want to shake things up, or even do our job, who are the people that we're gravitating towards? And quite often, we gravitate towards people who think and who act and experience life similarly to us and looking at the networks we have. So if we're not innately bringing out other people, we're not going to have those experiences. So being able to put yourselves in positions where you might be a little bit vulnerable and it is tough, but I love Brene Brown and she's amazing. So she is. She is. (laughs) Um, So it's a chance to be a little bit vulnerable and put yourselves in positions where you are the minority. Maybe it's a virtual networking event um, where you're the minority or you're bringing somebody else into the team. But I mean, you're always going to have people's opinions that you don't appreciate or something that you don't value or whatever the case may be, but it's not the time and place to share that with the particular group. You know, ask yourself, why don't I agree with this idea? What is something about this concept that doesn't make sense? If you're able to prove it, you know, via data and other means, that's one thing. But if you just don't like it because you don't like it, it's something that you have to really embrace and start to, to think deeper of yourself on that. What are some of the suggestions you would have for people who need to reach out to customers and clients in this very different way because we're all working remotely? And it's interesting because, you know, before this, maybe you're a salesperson and you're a sales, sales, sales. And now it's a combination of 
selling through giving. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people or even my clients, what can I help you with? What are some of the issues that you're facing? So you know, the clients that you've had before, even though you might have the same product, you might be delivering it in a different way or their need for that product might be different. So having those phone calls and conversations about how are you, what can I do that would be very helpful for you? What do you need at this time? And sometimes it's building your brand, building your product, and then coming back for the ask later on. It's so important right now to be able to be there for people um, and share support. A lot of my clients too, it's sharing what you're doing for the community. Are you giving back financially? Or I've seen a lot of um, distilleries really come together and create hand sanitizer. Like put that information out there so people know um, that you're also giving back so they don't have this idea of you and your organization as just selling, selling, selling. You know, what are you doing and how are you giving back to the community at large? Yeah, and I think that's great to be open about that. And along those lines, you also talk about the importance of celebrating other people and teams' achievements and the benefits of that. What if you have the quiet high achiever who maybe doesn't want to be recognized? I would almost think that would make that person want to do worse. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) Me in a nutshell. And I remember being just like called out in general meetings and I am like, I'm mortified, right? I don't want, which is hilarious for what I do. I want attention for the work itself, but not for me personally. So I like to ask the question and have leaders ask the question of their employees. How do you like to seek praise? It's a very simple question. And to me, that's maybe you send me a card or maybe you thank me one-on-one or you send me an email that just says, thank you. It's not like, let's throw a party and celebrate how awesome, you know, this work is or call me out in a meeting because we want to be able to say thank you. And that's one thing. And that's a huge, just even saying that comment to anybody is very helpful and appreciative and we don't do it enough, but doing it in a way that people find value and people realize that you're going above and beyond to meet them where they are and appreciate the work that they're bringing. What advice do you have in terms of navigating cultural differences at work since the workforce has become international in a way it never was? And that's one of the toughest things, especially with, um, I mean, obviously cultural differences, time zone differences, how we think and experience things is very different. You know, somebody might even end an email very differently from you or have different contexts than you have. I think it's about really educating yourself and asking questions along the way. If there's been miscommunication, addressing that. But we all are coming from different cultural backgrounds. Even though we might seem very similar, we've all had very different upbringings with very different privileges. So recognizing that you don't know everything, you have privilege, and privilege doesn't always just mean um, money. It's really access in some type of way. But it's important to really have those conversations. And I've seen so many organizations even using affinity groups or employee resource groups to help educate the organization as a whole about a, a particular marginalized group, which is just a very helpful and a great way to start. And they've been continuing this um, through everything's going on, whether it's through workshops or webinars or Q&A sessions to give people kind of a little bit of insight of what's happening. We love having you as part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners. And we want to remind you about a special offer for you from our sponsor, GladSkin. If you've been living with eczema, acne, or rosacea, you can relate to the frustration of trying dozens of products over the years without any long-term relief. 
With GladSkin, you can expect something different. GladSkin is rethinking caring for inflammatory skin conditions. GladSkin is a new category of skin treatment made for people of all ages with eczema-prone, acne-prone, and rosacea-prone skin. People in our family have struggled with two of those three conditions, eczema and acne. They can be uncomfortable and embarrassing. That's why we're excited to share information with you about GladSkin. You may have wondered what actually causes the itchiness, redness, inflammation, and discomfort in the skin. It's a disruption of the bacterial environment, also called the skin microbiome. GladSkin specifically works to target the imbalance in your skin's microbiome. But unlike other skin brands and prescription medications, GladSkin uses microbalance, a revolutionary protein that restores the balance of the good and bad bacteria that live on your skin so it can finally heal. It's so effective that 91% of users, adults and children who tried their top-selling eczema cream reported significant improvement after just seven days. My dad has had an eczema-type rash for years, and he's seen real improvement with GladSkin. October is National Eczema Awareness Month, and according to the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America, while it's usually thought of as a childhood disease, more than 16 million adults in the U.S. have eczema. And while it affects people in various ways, 51% of adults with atopic dermatitis, the most common form of eczema, say it limits their lifestyle, and 39% say it causes them to avoid social interaction because of their appearance. GladSkin with Micro Balance is steroid-free, works without harsh ingredients, and is clinically proven to reduce eczema symptoms. It's even gentle enough for babies. So if you've been frustrated with your treatment options, don't wait to try GladSkin. They're offering our Nobody Told Me listeners 15% off plus free shipping on your first order at gladskin.com slash nobody. That's gladskin.com slash nobody for 15% off plus free shipping. Gladskin.com slash nobody. There are obviously so many challenges presented by having diversity in the workplace, whether it's age, culture, gender. Like we've said, there's a lot of things. I'm wondering what activities you would suggest for companies to do that could maybe help the teams end up being closer and increasing the bottom line, especially given the fact that we're all online now. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point in terms of just having so much diversity in general. And when I think about it, some organizations or people might not see the value in diversity. And you can have really um, diversity without inclusion, but you can't have inclusion without diversity. So we really want to be able to tap into the resources of the organization so people see the benefit and the value of diversity. And that's kind of the first and foremost. In terms of activities, it's even taking that step back and evaluating where you are as an organization, looking at the people on the phone calls that you've been having. Are they all white male, right? Maybe we have a problem. Maybe we should do something about that. Are the images on your website all the same race or gender, ethnicity? How are we being perceived? In terms of activities, there's a lot of different things that you can do, but you need to provide a safe space to do it. Um, one of my favorite activities, it's, it's just asking people in terms of the experiences that they had growing up. Did you always feel safe and secure? Did you always have a place to live? And when you're in a physical space with people, people take a step up if the answer is yes. And you can very much see the disparity in terms of equity among the employees. Uh, you can even do that virtually, raise your hand if this applies to you. The key though with this exercise or any other exercise you would do is people need to feel comfortable, safe, and secure. Right. 
to participate, right? It can't be, we didn't care about diversity or we think we sort of cared. Let me ask you all these super personal questions, um, you know, about what that looks like. So creating those, those spaces and starting those simple conversations. I've seen a lot of virtual coffee chats or, you know, what is a topic that you want to talk about and people just, you know, roll with it. And maybe it's about sustainability or whatever the case may be. Um, but start small with these conversations before going into something huge and asking personal questions. Your book is called How to Listen and How to Be Heard. And I'm wondering, what's your best advice on listening and what's your best advice on being heard? Listening is such a tough one because oftentimes for communication, we think talking and we don't do the active listening part of it. But I would say listening is essentially more important because you don't know how to respond or if you should respond or if that person is looking for a response. So to me, the key with listening is just paying attention. Um, it's harder in the virtual workspace, especially if you're afraid to show the like your camera or anything, but it's very easily to be distracted. So if you're virtual, really look into that camera, remove all distractions. If you're face to face with somebody, put your phone away way completely, you know, visually look, wait until they've finished, you know, their lips are closed, they finish talking, pause, wait a second, and then respond. Um, we just kind of default to already having the answer in our head before they've even finished. So that's huge. Um, being heard is also about showing value within the organization. So really being a key player, bringing quality content, quality information and work to the workspace. If people see that, eventually you will be heard. If you are not in the position to really be seen, ask other people, you know, would you be able to go to a meeting or would you be able to tag on to this particular event? Think also about how people like to be influenced. If you're trying to show and share a new idea, are the key decision makers really data people? Do they want to see stat and figures that show that your idea would work? Are they really story people and can relate to a client's story? You want to figure out who the influencers are and how you can influence them to be heard. In order to have a really good team, there are definitely going to be uncomfortable situations. There's no way around that. And beating around the bush and not really trying to be direct in terms of the issues you have with your coworkers never really goes well. So what suggestions would you have for approaching our coworkers if maybe we feel that we aren't being heard by them? Yeah, I think you know being heard or having like microaggressions or or feeling marginalized in any type of way to me would be two kind of different things. In terms of actually not being heard, you're sharing, showing and sharing ideas and you don't feel like you're being heard, are you not doing it in a way that people are able to listen? Are people more visual learners and you need to put a slide deck together to be able to show them? Are you not showing data and facts and that's really all that they're concerned with in order to be able to make a decision? Ask people, how they how they make decisions and what information they need or reflect and look back on how decisions were made previously if an idea was passed through what did that person show and share that was a value that was really you know helpful to be able to do it sometimes we're also not brave enough um, to really step up and share our ideas. And unfortunately, that's part of the process. It's hard to be heard if we're not giving ourselves a voice. We're not giving ourselves that platform. So if you feel like you found your voice and you've been heard, bring up other people. Call them out before a meeting and say, thank you so much for sharing this idea about this client. I think it would be a value to the rest of the group. Would you mind sharing it? Sharing an agenda ahead of time and looking at it and saying, okay, I have an idea for... Uh, our third point, this is something I'm really, really um, interested in talking about, and then make it a challenge to yourself to talk about that during the meeting. So if you found your voice, help and empower other people. If you haven't, try to find those little spaces like the agenda items or other things where you'll be able to be heard. 
We've seen the message, we're all in this together everywhere we look since the pandemic began. And I'm wondering if it's your sense that that message will translate into a more inclusive workforce and world. I hope so. I really, really genuinely hope so. And the thing that I'm loving about what's happening now in terms of just breaking down those barriers and being able to, to physically see people, you know, in their spaces and their kids and, and all this stuff. I, I use this phrase, we're in this together, and I don't use the word I when working with clients or you. It's a genuine we. Um, we are working towards this together. I think we can't just say those words. We actually have to do it. Um, we actually have to show and share that we're available for people and we're asking questions and providing resources. So I hope once, you know, things go, whatever the normal is or how everything shift. We're continuing to ask, you know, what do you need from me as a leader? What can I bring? What barriers are you facing? What is What should our executives know that they don't already know? If we're not continually asking those questions, we can't possibly be in this together because we're speculating what people need. And Alyssa, as you know, our show is called Nobody Told Me. So at the end of each episode, we ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? And I'm sure you've learned so many over the years (laughs) about the workplace. There are countless, but what is the most important? What did nobody tell you about workplace communication that you wish that you'd known when you first began your career? I seriously love this question. It's one of my favorite questions. (laughs) (laughs) I think... I mean, I, I'll take it even from quickly from the entrepreneur perspective of just nobody told me, you know, when you own your own business, you think, okay, I'm my own, my own boss. I can make my own hours. I can do my own things. But truthfully, mm-hmm. you have a million other bosses out there. You have all of your clients that are, have their priority and they want, you know, to get your attention and they want you to get right back and things like that. So nobody told me the amount of effort in terms of communication and being on top of things and reminding yourself of, I have to get back to this person. I have to reach out to this other person. Being an entrepreneur doesn't mean that you have no bosses. It just means you have more. Um, and being able to be strategic in terms of your communication back and forth is just, I think, one of the top things. Communication and expectations, I think, are one of the top things um, that you have to be on top of. And Alyssa, how can people connect with you on social media and the internet? Sure. Um, on social media, I'm really active on LinkedIn, just under my name, Alyssa Carpenter, and on Twitter at NotOKThat'sOkay. And my website is NotOKThat'sOkayCoach.com. Well, you have been absolutely amazing. And I think you've provided people with a lot of great advice that will hopefully help them advance their career in such a difficult time. So we really thank you for that. Thank you so much for having me. Again, our thanks to Alyssa Carpenter, whose new book is called How to Listen and Be Heard, Inclusive Conversations at Work. And again, her website is notokthatsokcoach.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 